The views and opinions expressed on Smack My Pitch Up are those of the panelists and not those of GUI Network, their sponsors, or any of the properties mentioned. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is rated R for violence, language, and nudity. Well, it's a podcast, so you won't see the nudity. I just do it to make the guest uncomfortable. In a world gone mad with unnecessary reboots, remakes, and sequels, only one podcast has the guts to make it even worse. This is Smack My Pitch Up. And welcome to another episode of Smack My Pitch Up, the podcast that reboots, remakes, reimagines, sequels, sidequels, and adapts some of your favorite and least favorite properties from film, television, and what have you. And this episode, we are getting sexy with uh, The Full Monty from 1997. We're going to be rebooting, remaking, and reimagining that. And here to help me on this journey through male nudity is uh, from my handle is Jonathan Blade. And our recent uh, Free Guy episode on Geeks on the Influence, we've got Tondi Woodard here. I'm back! You're back! <laughs> and happy to be here. Yeah, actually, the, you've been on, a, I think, a couple Smack My Pitch Ups uh, before this, but this is the first time you've been live in this studio for Smack My Pitch Up, I believe. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, finally, got you in studio for that. <laughs> Way more fun in person. Honestly. It is more fun in yeah. person. There's a lot of good energy when you get into the studio together. Definitely so. And uh, part of that is because, you know, ensembles are a lot of fun when people are able to be like present to bounce off of one another. Uh huh. And that's what this movie also does a lot is I'm a I'm a sucker for an ensemble comedy film uh, when you've got the right people that have the different types of personality coming together. Definitely. Weird amalgamation that just somehow works. And uh, Full Monty is definitely doing that. Yeah. And there's a magic when everybody actually gets to do something that's the joy of an ensemble is everybody gets to do something. If you have a piece that just stars a star and people are there, then that's not as much fun. No, that's not really an ensemble at that point is that there's a supporting cast. Yeah. And uh, there are the main characters in the Fulmani for sure. Yeah, definitely. Which is fine, but every character is realized enough that even the ones that don't have as much screen time, you still have an understanding of what they represent, you know, what they're what about. What they represent. Yeah what they're going to do in the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the truth of a character is even if you have minimal experience with them, you can look at what might be happening down the road in the movie and you have an idea of what they're going to do because you understand them as a character. It's you're like frog DNA in a dinosaur <laughs> uh, strand is that you're filling in the b- gaps with just your understanding of like people archetypes, you know? Yeah. It's the, part of what brings you in. Yep. So uh, this movie does that relatively well. You understand everybody's motivations. They all seem even with the weird leap to being like, oh, yeah, I need to I need to pay child support, so I guess I'm getting naked <laughs> is a weird turn. But it somehow you just forgive it immediately um, because you're on on for the ride. You know, you, you, you want to be on this ride. So you're like, fuck it. Sure. Um, refuses to get any kind of real job. <laughs> uh, but he's willing to get naked in front of a crowd of, for, for money. That's, yeah, and yeah. have a good time doing it. Yep. You know, actually... I'm the one who suggested this movie, and after starting The Full Monty, I thought that I kind of didn't want to be on the ride. I was like, man, I remember enjoying The Full Monty. About 10 minutes in, I was like, 
Do I enjoy the full Monty? Those are some pretty heavy British accents. It's already kind of goofy. Am I down for this? And I was. I yeah. was fully down. Like, once it gets started, once it's going, I'm all in. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I was all the way in. And I kind of think I know exactly where there was that turn uh, for you on being like, okay, yep. And it was for me as well is that the setup is a little bit of a like stereotypical uh, dad that, you know, genuinely cares about his son and wants to be back with his ex-wife, uh -huh. uh, but he's just not handling it well at all. He's not getting his shit together. He's kind of a, a fuck boy. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then his friend who's like a family man who's settled down, but they've gotten like in a rut. You've seen that in more films than I can count. Um, and they're just like setting all that up. You're like, okay, cool. There's nothing new about this. There's yeah, these this are some fun 90s tropes that we're dealing yay, with here. Super yay. fun. And then just suddenly there's, suddenly it's just like, oh yeah, my wife goes to like the all-male strip club down in this small town, but they have this like Chippendales <laughs> readily available uh, for, for the women to come and uh, shove dollars into G-strings. And, uh, and he's progressive enough that he's like, yeah, I mean, she likes seeing dicks so what are you gonna do i guess and it's just not super shitty about it yeah that that was cool but in the sad sackness of him in that situation where his machismo did not dominate him his his depression did under those circumstances he's yeah. like i get it yeah he's like look at my life i get it <laughs> she makes all the money so it's her money i get it like oh there's there's something going on here yeah and yeah he definitely eeyores his part pretty hard <laughs> through this movie definitely but then that's oh man that uh, it affected me more than i expected it to where at the end of this movie when he was like who wants to see this uh, like jiggling around naked and she's like no i i do i really want to see that and yes like, and, and she and she meant it because yeah. she loves him tremendously and just that realization that he has where it, it's it's not that he's not enough for her. He's not enough for himself. And that's the, the difference. It's like, he's always been enough for her, but he's just not present. Like, exactly. He's not, he's not allowing himself to find joy in his life. And, yeah. There's uh, some interesting things going on with the characters uh, in general. I'd also like to point out that we had this conversation beforehand that this is like for nineties movie. It is way progressive and it may just be the Britishness of the movie, but they're dealing with things like, homosexuality they're dealing with things like race but it's just in there it's just stuff that's in there it's not an impediment to acceptance and it's not something that's focused on as a thing unto itself in the movie it's just there when mm -hmm. horse's family comes to see them practice dance it's just horse's family they're just people that are there and when we deal with the uh, the issues of, of homosexuality it's just something that's there it's not a b plot it's just something that happens and everybody just gets on with their lives because they're trying to do something and they're already friends. They don't care about any of these things, really. That's not something that you would expect from a movie from the 1990s or even the early 2000s. Actually, I think the early 2000s would probably be socially worse with that stuff than the 90s would be. Yep. And that's something that I really wanted to consider when putting together my version of this is how, how do you approach all the different types of characters and their perspective on life from their background or their culture or their, their orientation, whatever it is that informs them differently about the world mm -hmm. without it being about that. 
Um, because really it's more about the transformation of Gaz, the main character, and him basically committing to something. Yeah. Like he's never been able to commit to anything in his life, a job, his his relationship, you know, his it being a father. He's been bad at all of that. And so what really changes him fundamentally is literally sticking with something. Yeah. Um and I see a real truth to that just from my experiences in my life that sometimes it doesn't really matter what you're sticking to as long as you do something and stick to something. Um definitely th- then it creates a lot of other opportunities in your life. So that 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 definitely spoke to me. But I wanted that to be the focus while still considering that there's real genuine growth that's happening with this character as he gets exposed to people from different backgrounds and experiences and orientations that he I'm making him more a little bit not necessarily overtly racist or prejudiced or anything, (laughs) but more so just like he hasn't had a lot of experience with people other than his his white friends that Uh that he came up with. And so having more interaction with all sorts of different people. Like he starts to understand the world a little bit truer, um, by having all these different perspectives to, to draw from. And, uh, and it's not, he's not coming out and like saying racial slurs or anything at the start of this movie or anything. It's just, he's, he's not, doesn't have an issue with people so much as it's a lack of experience. That's more his leaning. And which is true to, uh, to life in a lot of ways. Uh, that's why I'm basing this in Pennsylvania. <laughs> uh, so just used to the whites. <laughs> yeah, I actually saw a, um, it was a TikTok or just a Twitter post about how scared, the post was basically, you think that this is just in the South and it was this automated billboard that just posted thing after thing of troubling content uh, about um, white purity and Trump and just Oof. all manner of things. Pennsylvania. Yeah. And they're like, you you don't know that this is here, but this is definitely here. Yeah. Basically, they said, I got off on the wrong uh, exit to get gas, and this is what I'm looking at, like, behind the gas station. Well, no, Pennsylvania got off on the wrong exit. <laughs> it was aiming for the south, and it just took a hard <laughs> a hard turn and ended up in, in the northern states area somehow. Yeah. But, um, but I, I do know that... There are a lot of different areas in uh, Pennsylvania that were former like factory towns mm-hmm. um, that, I mean, Pittsburgh is known as steel town for a reason, you know, that they, and so I wanted it to be not necessarily a suburb of Pittsburgh, but maybe kind of like a nearby township uh-huh. to Pittsburgh. So a lot of people maybe commuted to Pittsburgh or their, their fathers back in the seventies and stuff used to commute to Pittsburgh for work, or there was a factory nearby in town that has long since been closed down. And the generation that were talking about is more kind of like our generation, the like late thirties into like early forties area of, of topic, you know, of, of experience. So it's that, what they call the Nintendo generation or the (laughs) Xennial generation where we had an analog upbringing at the beginning of our lives and then developed into technologies as we got older. Mm -hmm. But if you're in a rural area where maybe internet didn't like come out there as quickly as it did other places, or you came from like a hardcore blue collar family where you started looking at trade schools before anything else um, when you were in high school, there wasn't a consideration of getting into technologies or anything. There wasn't opportunities in that area at that time for those kinds of jobs. Exactly. So it wasn't a consideration. So here you are in your late thirties or early forties in this small town, or even maybe moving to like the suburbs of Pittsburgh. Uh, So you're still close to everybody, but you're a little closer to the big city. And the opportunities for like journeyman positions or like, you know, working with your hands positions are minimal. You're getting 
warehouse jobs that pay 10 bucks an hour or, you know, an added Amazon warehouse or mm. something, you know, that it's all these like in the full Monty original where it's, you can get jobs, but they're so poorly paying that you have a friend that's like, you're better than that. You don't need to like slump to being a security guard at a grocery store. Or... Yeah. That reflects a, a lot of the country. Actually, some of those places actually replace those factory jobs. Eventually, like people look at Detroit, Detroit is a, a crap hole, but Detroit is also a tech hub. They have a huge population of um, like well-paying tech jobs in the yeah. Detroit area. I don't know that that Pittsburgh did that. Is currently doing that. Oh, it is. Um, that that's they're on the early stages of that. Google has moved uh, some stuff there, or was was planning on moving some stuff there. There's a lot of uh, tech companies that have moved their East Coast spot uh, to Pittsburgh, and uh, because there were a, a large population and a lot of them, you know, college educated, you know that just didn't have anywhere to put their efforts. So, and also get in while it's cheap and make it expensive. Yeah. Cause <laughs> Pittsburgh is as far as, you know, we record in Richmond, it's pretty comparable. The cost of living in Pittsburgh versus Richmond and Pittsburgh mm -hmm. is a much larger town than Richmond. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not an expensive city to live in, uh, compared to say Philadelphia. That's yeah. like just on the other part side of the, uh, the state there. So, yeah, um, as far as it, it makes sense that tech is moving in, probably the same reason that they moved into Detroit. But speaking of Detroit, that was my initial thought process. To take put it in Detroit. Put it in Detroit. And then I started thinking about like what, what story I wanted to tell. And uh, the problem with Detroit is that looking at the realities of a Detroit-based movie, if I had a mostly white cast, that would be incredibly unfair to a movie based <laughs> in Detroit since 80% of the fucking population is mm -hmm. black. And so I started casting a predominantly black cast and went, yeah, that's not a story I can t like come up with. Like that's not, that, that's not something that from my perspective, I have an understanding of the black experience enough to be able to inform like a, a, a movie about growing up in, in like the, the impoverished parts of Detroit as a, as a, uh, as an out of work black man, not no experience there on a lot of different points. Yeah, so only Eminem can write that story. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, he can tell that story, sure, but I, I am not Eminem, uh, fortunately, <laughs> or unfortunately. Well, I, I wish I could rap yeah, better. Yeah, he's, he's, he's rich. He's very rich, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I decided to go Pittsburgh. I'm like, I can work with that a little bit better, you know. Um, I can, I can, uh, I can understand, you know, the Polish heritage a little bit better. Than, <laughs> um, so yeah, what are you doing with your story? Well, uh, you're focusing on the subtext, which is cool. I'm focusing on the comedy. Okay. Uh, I'm not quite going that deep on uh, the things or the reasons that people are doing this, except for the fact that they're blue collar and they need to make some money quick because their sure. blue collar jobs don't pay well. But we've got enough of your pitch that I'm curious. I want to roll in. I want to hear your pitch before I roll into mine. Okay. Yeah. Let me, let me just shoot through my stuff. Um, and then we can get into your whole whole deal. I wanted or a director that would be able to really talk about the political undertones about like class warriors and uh, and wealth in this country and and race relations and all the stuff that has these undercurrents throughout this story. And I d didn't want that to be the main forefront of the story. I wanted that to be kind of like simmering in the background a little bit. Uh, and so I wanted a director that could be very comedy focused mm -hmm. as far as the dialogue and the and the deliveries and stuff that is the main the main event that's why people are for this movie is to show up and enjoy it and have a good time uh but also 
appreciated politics and the 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 conversations about like well yeah class and uh the fi- the failure of this country um uh, failing the, the impoverished classes and the disenfranchised um being a subtext that would be just the right amount of reference you know that it's not overtaking but it's still there um so i went with adam mckay Nice. Yeah. Uh, he's not only known for doing Step Brothers and Talladega Nights and Anchorman 1 and 2, uh, but he also did Vice mm-hmm. and The Big Short. So, like, he's very politically focused as a director, uh, but also knows how to make just big, dumb, fun comedies. The problem, Definitely. The problem I was running into with him a little bit, though, is that a lot of the actors that he uses with on a regular basis are all in their 50s now. Uh-huh. And so when you're talking about, like, the generation that I'm trying to explore that was also this around the same age as they were in, in uh, the original Full Monty, I would say probably like mid to late 30s, maybe early 40s, uh, for, for most of them. Um, if they're in their 50s, then the the old guy, how old is the old guy if everybody's <laughs> in their like mid 50s? Then you have somebody in their, what, 80s that's trying to like strip tease? That's yeah. a little dark. I actually, um, I hit that speed bump too. Yeah. So um, yeah. So I had to recast it because, of course, I'm like, okay, so who's Will Ferrell going to play? Who's Danny McBride going to be? You know, just started naming off. And I had to switch gears a little bit. And so uh, for Gaz, I wanted somebody that could be just like angry and reactive and kind of a man child a little bit, but has some comedic timing. And uh, Dave Franco bit the part for me. Nice. He's like he's like 36 or 37. So he's mm-hmm. right in that wheelhouse. I checked ages and all this to make sure that there was some close enough, you know. Uh, and then his best friend, Dave, um, in this version, it's less that they're best friends is that they knew each other from a plant that shut down and they've just become more familiar with each other as they've been on the dole and they've been going to the same like um, temp agencies and trying to find work and day work and all that. Uh, they've just kind of been on the same trajectory. So they've gotten closer kind of just out of being on, under the same circumstances. Yeah. So it's not like friends from childhood in this version. It's more like uh, Dave Franco gas is a, uh, just begrudgingly friends with this dude that he <laughs> didn't give a shit about when they worked in the, in the same place. They weren't friends then. They just knew each other because they were coworkers. Um, and I'm bringing in for Dave, uh, Sam Richardson. And if you're not familiar with him, he's uh, in a movie called Werewolves Within. Uh, he was the comic relief uh, character in The Tomorrow War. As bad as that movie was, he was not the problem. Oh, Sam Richardson was the lead in Werewolves Within. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he was also in a great series from Comedy Central called Detroiters. Um, there was a lot of fun. And uh, Game Over Man, he was like the head like IT guy mm-hmm. in Game Over Man for the for the bad guys. A very funny actor that is uh, has been doing a lot of TV and stuff for years and is starting to get into films more. And I, I don't know. Like, I really like him and I want to cast him in stuff because he just... He's got a likable face. He's got a likable aesthetic. That's his thing. He's got this like the in-between the neuro- neurotic level of like say Vince Vaughn mm-hmm. is not that much um but it's not as Eeyore as uh as some <laughs> other character he's got a little bit of like, that nervous uh kind of cute I you know I'm I'm awkward vibe to him uh-huh. a little bit but it's charming still it's not too much or too little it's it, it he's he's got a he's got a spot in a lot of comedies I I feel in the future definitely so uh so he's gonna be Dave um and so then right right off the bat you've got Gaz and Dave coming from entirely different backgrounds and experiences, um, working in, uh, in a, in a plant that shut down and like their experiences trying to get work and their, their, their viewpoints on life, you know, uh, 
Dave Franco in this is, isn't going to be outright a Trumper, but he's going to have <laughs> definitely some more conservative values than uh-huh. uh, Dave does. Dave is a lot more progressive minded and, um, and nothing is directly overt. I'm not making any major political statement, but it's more just Gaz not having those views because of lack of experience outside of his own little bubble. And that's mm-hmm. what is kind of happening to him in the story. Um, Gerald, the, uh, played by Tom Wilkinson, um, amazing actor, Tom Wilkinson in the original. Um, I thought it, Steve Carell would do a really good job in, in this version. I can see that definitely. And he's a, you know, he's old, old enough compared to Dave Franco and Sam Richardson that he would be seen as the old guy from them. Uh-huh. So, um, cause he, Steve Carell's like 60 now. Is he? And he's just getting better looking the older he gets. No, he's, he's, he's got a regular handsome face. He, he, Yes, he is a handsome man, but like in like uh, I know that guy, handsome man. Kind sure, of yeah, yeah, yeah. Not like uh, like uh, Ham, handsome. Uh, oh no, or uh, John Ham, or uh, Pierce Brosnan. Oh, you're Pierce. Yeah, no, not like that. Jesus, yeah. I want to be mad when I see his face as he's getting older because he's just getting like silver foxy and just yeah. It's but upsetting. those the, the thing that thing is those aren't people you know. No, those Steve are... Carell is somebody that you could know. Yeah, that's like somebody's <laughs> dad or like, you know, somebody from the office or something, yeah. Or literally the office. Then we've got Nathan, the uh the boy, mm-hmm. uh, the son of uh of Gaz uh, that is along for the ride most of the time. Um I decided to go with uh, Roman Griffin Davis. He was the kid in Jojo Rabbit. Nice. And he's got just a very innocent vibe to him. Mm-hmm. So ev- all this really dark rated R humor is happening. He seems like this just young, innocent kid that's impressionable. And the dad trying to like, Oh, sorry. I didn't mean fuck son, you know, and just dealing with this sweet little kid. Uh, then we've got for Lomper, which was the uh, character that was trying to kill himself in the car with the depressed character. character. Uh, you want somebody that's kind of really Eeyore kind of quiet, uh, gawky, Mm-hmm. awkward. Um, so I don't cast him very often because I don't want to just like burn this show down by bringing him up all the time. But <laughs> I felt like it was actually a legitimate place for Jay Baruchel <laughs> to show up. Of course it is. Yes. It, I mean, he's, he's kind of a, a lanky, awkward uh-huh. kind of, that's his whole vibe. It is. So um, it, it kind of works. And then, we going to what ends up being his romantic interest later. Uh, guy is the character who is the, in the original is just like the guy that he's got no talents. He's um, just just sexy. He's attractive, um, and he because he has apparently a massive dick. He also has that massive like that big dick energy of just nothing bothers him. He's mm-hmm. chill. Like he doesn't care that he's unemployed or that he doesn't have any skills. Like he's he's fine. Just. This like unearned confidence uh-huh. um, that the fuck boys tend to have, <laughs> and so I thought it'd be really interesting if uh, instead of going that route necessarily, change a guy into like an openly gay character mm-hmm. uh, that comes in. So you're already exposing Gaz to like an entirely different perspective out the gate. It's not part of the plot necessarily, except for you know the romantic interest there. But uh, Billy Eichner would be a lot of fun in that role being just the loud, brash, like, actually kind of aggressive, like, more <laughs> aggressive than the machismo dudes are. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and jokes about thinking that all gay men can dance is a hurtful stereotype that needs to end. And jokes about, <laughs> yes, I, I wear flannel. I I don't know how to dress. I can't dance. 
and he's just this awkward gay man in Pennsylvania that just doesn't have any of the stereotypes of being gay besides literally just being gay. Unquote. Yeah. Uh, So I think that would be fun. And uh, so, yeah, Billy Eichner and Jay Baruchel are the romantic couple in this. That'd Um, be fun. That would be, I think it'd be really fun. And then uh, Horse, the the older black man that uh, apparently also has a big dick. No, 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 no. Horse's thing was that Horse had a small dick. He had a little dick. Oh, right, 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 right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. This is an actor that I, and he gets bit parts nowadays and it breaks my heart because he's such a unbelievably funny actor to me and I would cast him in so many roles. I think he's funnier than Will Ferrell and he came up around the same time, honestly, is uh, Tim Meadows. Oh yeah, Tim Meadows is awesome. I fucking love Tim Meadows. I genuinely, like I like Will Ferrell plenty, like don't get me wrong, but I honestly think that Tim Meadows is a funnier actor. Tim Meadows um, is a great straight man, because that, that's what he does. Well, he just, yeah, he, he's definitely not as wacky as uh, the Will Ferrell vibes at all. But yeah, there's there's almost like a mischievous grin that he puts on a lot of the uh-huh. time with his characters, where it's almost like he's about to break uh, from the stuff that he's doing, but he just holds it he right on that razor's edge. Because he's a pro. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It just, it gives you that vibe that he's in on the joke too, mm-hmm. but he, but you know, the boss is here, so I can't crack up with you. We'll talk about this later kind of vibe. I'm into it. <laughs> Definitely. I'm so into it. So that's my real take on this is that, you know, social commentary undertones uh, throughout uh, the and moral of the story at the end of it is believe in something. Um, uh, believe in, in order to believe in yourself, you have to give yourself a reason to. And that just means doing something. Uh, mm-hmm. You can't sit on the couch and expect the world to change around you. And sometimes, you know, putting yourself in uncomfortable and unknown situations is where growth happens, you know, and that's what Gaz is learning in this story or Dave Franco is. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's it. Nice. So. Oh, that, that, that's touching. <laughs> I, I was like trying it. to go for, man, with everything going on in the world, we need some more like Ted Lasso level, good, warm, <laughs> feely stuff in the world. So if, if I can help, then I'm in Ted Lasso, Steven universe, just Good feelings all around. All around, absolutely. <laughs> nice. All right, well... Is this uh, where you turn into like, yeah, mine's super dark, and... Uh, it, it's it's not super dark, but it is... Um, it's a comedy. It's, like, purely... Okay. A, ...a comedy. And for my take, uh, what I'm doing is... Uh, it's people in the Midwest. They work at a Walmart. Um... They are not doing very well. The Walmart itself, strangely, is not doing very well. So they need to supplement their income. These people have worked together for some extended period of time, so they actually know each other. These are people in, say, a department at the Walmart all working together. Sure. Uh, So they're disparate people. They're all kinds of people, but they are already friends, uh, and they're trying to achieve something. So the kind of comedy I want to go for is something that is uh, goofy as hell. But it also has a rhythm, and uh, for that I went with the Farley Brothers uh, for my director, and oh, they're wow. almost done. Actually, they're they're almost done making movies because they're about to make movies separately. So this is probably this would be their last movie in this alternate universe. <laughs> but if you're not familiar with the Farley Brothers, they did like Kingpin and Dumb and Dumber, Shallow Hal, something about Mary. Like some really great movies and some not so great movies too. <laughs> yes, and some not so great movies too. But they. Their stuff is fun. It's it it met 
I don't think I've seen a Farley Brothers movie that did not make me laugh. Even no, if- I mean, they, they all have some level of value. Some don't age as well as others do, but, uh, but you, you get why they're well, rather popular, yeah. yeah. They're, it's just dumb fun. Yes, it's stupid. They make yeah. some stupid-ass movies. Oh, yeah. And that's the vibe that I'm... I'm... Wasn't Stuck on You, wasn't that... Oh, was that the, 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 the conjoined twins? The conjoined twins, yeah. yes. That. that... So, so, yes, they, they make some movies that probably don't age that well. <laughs> in fact, most of their movies probably don't age that well. But, you know, soft, soft place in my heart for, like, something about Mary... Thought it was... Didn't, didn't they do Shallow Hal as well? And Shallow Hal. Which, the whole which, plot is which, just like a dude learning yeah. to like fat girls. <laughs> yeah. Which people <laughs> don't like, and, and the concept is not age well, but I think Shallow Hal is pretty decent, and I actually don't care for um, What's-His-Face that much. Jack lead. Black? Jack Black. Really? But I liked him in Shallow Hal. Well, that's it for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked him in Tropic Thunder. We stand. Kind of. We stand. De- Jack. Black oh, I, in his I'm house. sure that you do. I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I 100 percent could see that you would. But he is single-handedly uh, with every new role that he gets, giving me another Halloween costume option. <laughs> so <laughs> I cannot wait to see you play six different versions of Jeff Portnoy on Halloween. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the concept: uh, blue-collar workers just trying to bring something together and make some money. So they start in OnlyFans, uh, but the OnlyFans is not about sex. They're not having sex with each other, but they know that OnlyFans pulls in money. Uh, they don't all feel like they're sexy, so they wouldn't be having sex anyway. But my lead, who is uh, Gaz, is Lakeith Stanfield, and Lakeith is something of an artist. And so he has this idea, uh, creative idea, of doing. It's something between performance art and jackass mm-hmm. naked on the OnlyFans channel Jesus. with this cast of characters, uh, and it gains in popularity. So, but he has to convince his people to come on. So, uh, Dave is going to be Brian Tyree Henry, and Gaz and Dave are longtime friends, although they didn't grow up together. They're from disparate areas, and they have kind of disparate experiences. So Gaz, uh, Lakeith Stanfield, the artist, his wife is Vanessa Hudgens. She's very nice. supportive of what he's trying to achieve here. Uh, Brian Tyree Henry's wife is Megan Good, and she is not at all supportive of this endeavor. Okay. And she's not really the villain of the piece, but it does bring in uh, a lot of conflict into the piece. Okay. Uh, there's no son in, in my version because I can't really conscionably have a son involved and what's going and on only here? Fans? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, uh, that's a very <laughs> normal thing that you're making weird. I don't know why you have to make it weird, but uh, for <laughs> for Lomper, uh, we're bringing on Jesse Plemons. I almost cast him. Yeah. I, was, I was thinking about him. Yeah, he immediately came to mind for me for uh, Lomper. I feel like he's perfect for Gerald Arthur Cooper, who was the manager of their department. Uh, he actually got laid off for the rest of them, which is why this more responsible person who's a little bit older is in on, in for it, uh, is Patton Oswald. Nice. Okay. And uh, <laughs> for horse, they feel like they need a woman to be involved in this these shenanigans um, to make it feel more inclusive, but also uh, because she's got a great body and most of them don't. 
for horse, and the reason that this person is horse may be apparent when I say the name, is uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh, wow. So in the story, they wow. call her horse as like a mean nickname that it just stuck over time, and they just call her horse. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can totally see Sarah Jessica Parker signing up <laughs> uh, for a role as a character named horse. Yeah, uh, that's... Well, that's why it's fantasy casting. Well, I think I think some of the fantasy casting cast people that died uh, makes more sense than Sarah Jessica Parker taking on the role of a character named Horse. It's a Farley Brothers movie, and it's wonderfully mean and cruel. Yeah. Um, as guy, uh, we have Chatham Tatum. Channing Tatum is my guy. I w- I was looking for a spot for him, and I considered him for uh for guy um ex- specifically because of course yeah. And and he and Jesse Plemons will have a thing, uh, as it was in the original movie. It won't be. It won't be anything that divides them from the rest of the group, and it won't be intrinsic to the plot. It'll just be cute, because mm. Jesse Plemons uh, looks like Jesse Plemons, and Channing Tatum looks like Channing Tatum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it'll just be cute and fun. So what they try to do is they become popular under these circumstances of doing these performance art slash jackass style they're not sketches because they have an idea and they do the idea but they're they're kind of like sketches uh something in the vein of what's popular right now where the people stack the milk crates and try to yes it's stupid, yeah, yeah stupid yeah. stuff stupid stuff like that but naked <laughs> so uh and this is not happening anymore but they find out that only fans is going to shut down sure which is not happening anymore but they're like, we need one blast big score. So they are going for something they call the full Monty. It's, it's something that is beyond imagination. It's like the DVDA of this movie. Okay. If you're not familiar with that, uh, from orgasmo DVDA, double vaginal, double anal, something that's never been seen in porn as of orgasmo. I think it probably exists now. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, they're going for something huge. So we get a training montage of them training to do this thing. We don't know what it is. Training montage has like do them doing like a jello twister uh, and like weightlifting and um, just all kinds of insane, as insane a thing as you can get on screen. But we never find out what the full Monty is. When the climax of the movie happens, what we see are people's reactions all over the planet because it's you it's only mm-hmm. fans so people can watch it all over the planet so we see people's reactions it's like uh marcellus wallace's soul or whatever was in that case yeah in uh, pulp fiction we just see people's reactions to it i'm just and they think, are i'm thinking of the hack the planet scene <laughs> from hackers yeah. where it's just a bunch of people logging into their computers and being like oh yeah i'm amazed disgusted we see people getting sick yeah we see people like having epiphanic moments just uh, and they of course make their money or whatever, and uh, Lakeith Stanfield has his ultimate artist- artistic statement. It's a successful, fun end to the movie, and that's uh, my the full Monty. So the one suggestion I would have for this, and it, I'm I'm in on board completely. But at the very end of whatever's happening, it's just Lakeith Stanfield like comes into frame like he they just finished whatever they're doing, soaked in sweat and and oils and stuff, and just yells. The aristocrats, <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then that's it. <laughs> oh, I like that. I, you know, I like that a lot. I, you'd have to set it up in the movie, 
because it's because it's, it's a movie for everybody. Sure, sure. I'm curious as to how you would set that up, but yes, that would be a big that'd be a lot of fun. Yep. You can even have it as like, no, that's sick. I'm not doing it. Like, why? It sounds like a joke from the aristocrats. What's the aristocrats? It's where you tell this joke and you just get as grossy as possible of this performance yeah. art thing. And then you yell aristocrats at the end. Like, yeah. Well, that sounds dumb. And then that's all you need to say. I'm 100% then... on board with that. That would yeah, be yeah, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Wipes his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> the aristocrats. <laughs> but yeah, that's my real take. And no kids. Fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, it was weird. The kid was around while like all these grown men are getting down. And their into dicks their... out. Yeah. yeah. It was a little weird. It was a little weird. Um, so we are now to our remix versions. Remix. Um, for those unfamiliar, that's when we get uh, weird with it. We decide to like take it out of its genre or just a absurd choice on, uh, or sometimes, sometimes the remix versions are like, I need this to exist now. And I know it's never going to exist. Yeah. It makes me sad. This isn't one of them. I don't think for mine, <laughs> <laughs> mine got weird initially, but it was just too much and I couldn't fucking handle it. Um, initially thought Lars von Trier, um, <laughs> doing the full Monty. I pulled it back a little bit and I still went with a kind of horny director. Gaspar um, Noe. Do I? Gaspar Noe. No, I went, um, a director that has some humor in their horniness, but they still do some like high art stuff for sure. Um, I went with Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh-huh. Uh, familiar uh, with him through his works, Boogie Nights, uh, Inherent Vice, The Master, There Will Be Blood, and uh, most recently, um, uh, Phantom Thread. Oh, also Magnolia. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, I think, where he really hit hit it big was yep. uh, Magnolia, because everybody loves a movie where frogs shower from the sky. Um, and Tom Cruise puts his dick in somebody's face. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. Uh, it's a weird movie. But... <laughs> He does know how to work with comedic elements. He's not, he doesn't do comedies though. Like even Boogie Nights, as funny as some of that shit is, that is a drama. Dark, yeah. yeah, it's really dark. Um, and a lot of his movies are pretty horny. And uh, so I wanted to kind of lean in on the idea that these gentlemen are like trying to explore their sexiness as men. Like how do men express being sexy uh, in any real way? Um, and these are guys, you know, that just never really had to do that before. Uh-huh. Never had to, you know, guys are expected to wear sweatpants and just be like, yep, ready for sex. And that's <laughs> how these guys have existed. And so the idea of like being sensual is kind of a new concept for them. Oh my, They're, tell me more. So uh, while this is going, there's kind of nods to them having moments where like, you know, some Madonna song comes on like, um, and one of them is just really feeling it. And it's like, so do you just act gay? Is that what you do? You just get really <laughs> flamboyant. And they're like, no, you just feel the music. And then the way they express that comes at different levels where there's some dudes that are doing the hippie dance kind of thing and like rubbing on themselves. And there's other people that are like doing Patrick Swayze style, like run, jump dancing kind of stuff. Um, hyper aggressive kind of dancing uh-huh. styles. Um, but the, the main point of this is that as they're exploring their sensuality, their ideas about sex and gender roles and sexuality start to also bleed together a little bit as well. Um, because all the concepts that were like beaten into their brains as they were growing up uh, start to kind of dissipate as they are learning about like different, different backgrounds and, and lifestyles and, and ways of being a man and what that actually means. Um, and so it gets to where they're like, kind of being horny for each other, but not in any kind of, it, it's not even really discussing like 
sexuality so much is just like the intensity of, of seduction and, mm-hmm. and um, that it's the idea of like respecting a person being sensual without necessarily having to be attracted to them. And so there's this weird vibe that starts happening with this group. Um, and, and as men, they don't know how to uh, parse the nuance of that vibe emotionally. Yeah. 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 And so they're just like all kind of fucked up about it, except the two dudes that are like, oh no, I'm definitely into this. And then they <laughs> just start fucking, you know? Um, but the rest of them are just feeling, they feel weird around each other. They don't know how to like interact with one another. And, and it's, it really starts breaking down the group until they um, realize that they, they're becoming like better lovers to their like female partners in their lives. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they feel more connected to the world because they're like through that sensuality, they, they've also kind of accessed empathy in a weird way as well. And so they're more connected to the things that they you know, involve themselves with in, in the world. It, like it's almost like it uh, amplifies yeah, everything. Yeah, that 100% uh, follows. Yeah. And so the big reveal at the end is them kind of recognizing that about themselves. And it's not a bad thing to be a sensual person. And um, they end up doing the full Monty thing. Like this still following the storyline, mm-hmm. but just it getting very weird in the middle as far as them almost like unlocking some door that they didn't really know was there. Um, Behind the green door. Yeah, exactly. So just getting like weird drama, sensual movie kind of vibes. And uh, for the people in the roles, Gaz, of course, is going to be played by Daniel Day-Lewis because who else would be in that role? Uh, then we've got his best friend, Dave, not a dramatic actor, uh, but I just thought he being a sad sack and, and he is a very good actor. Um, and I, I think he, needs an opportunity to do more dramatic roles uh, from pixels and the rocker uh, Josh Gad. Oh my, <laughs> that's interesting. Cause I don't think I've seen Josh Gad in anything approaching that. No, no. And that's, that's why I was the, the problem that I was running into is, um, and also part of the reason why um, I cast Sam Richardson as Dave in the real version is that all the like funny chubby guys, because that's like the whole thing with his character is that he feels like he's gained a little weight and he feels uncomfortable about it. He doesn't like his body. He's having like body image issues. So you can't have a thin actor in there. Um, and all the fat guys got thin, like Seth Rogen <laughs> got thin, like uh, fucking Jonah Hill got Jonah thin. Hill, yeah. So all the, like the chubby funny guys are like gone. And so there was like Josh Gad and Sam Richardson and Sam Richardson isn't even really that chubby. He's just a, a kind of a stocky build. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's all I got to work with now. Like, Where's the fat representation yeah, in Hollywood? Yeah, speaking of, as I was watching the full Monty, Dave isn't actually that fat. He re- no, he's just got a fucking dad bod. <laughs> yeah, he's just a regular dude. Yeah. I guess in great, and this is this is definitely true now, like we're much fatter than the rest of the world, so our idea of what that is is, is completely different. I can't imagine how different it was 30 years ago, but uh, yeah, Dave is not like a fat dude. He's, yeah, he's dad bod, dude. Just a little chub. There's a little bit of chub on him. Not not even much. It's hilarious. It's like, why are you trying to make me feel bad about myself, movie? He's like, I'm so fat. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> what does that make me? <laughs> so, yeah, Josh Gad, I I think he has the opportunity to, to make that dramatic turn like Jonah Hill did when he did, like, Moneyball and stuff. Um, I think he has it in him. Uh, so I'm interested to see that. Then uh, Nathan, the young boy, uh, because it's a young uh, white male kid, part mm-hmm. it's clearly going to know a jew because he just that's just if that's what you need that's who they cast <laughs> is, he's in everything uh so fuck it 
Um, and then for uh, Lompert, I wanted somebody that could be the tortured type of character a little bit and uh, somebody that had worked with uh, Paul Thomas Anderson before on Inherent Vice and uh, the master is uh, we've got Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, nice. Yeah. So tortured. I can definitely, yeah, definitely character. see that. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, his love interest uh, later in this guy who's just like the kind of blue collar, working class dude, handsome, uh, big old dick, and just no worries in the world. Milton Burl? Milton Burl, yes. <laughs> no. Um, I went with Josh Brolin. Oh, nice. For that yeah. one. So there's Josh a lo- Brolin has the most tough blue collar dude energy for somebody who was raised with like horses and servants. Right. And- <laughs> And wanted to be an artist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he definitely does. That's his role in No Country for Old Men. I'm like, yep, that's it. That's what I always yeah, think of when I think Josh Brolin. That's the guy. That's yeah. the guy. Yeah. So I just thought it'd be interesting to have him in that role, especially in this, where he's he's the, the character that is less worried about like orientations or sexualities or anything. Um, but he's also kind of the most masculine at the same time, mm-hmm. which I love that contrast so much. So I think that would be really fun to play with. And then Joaquin Phoenix just being the like sad boy art school dropout kind of vibe uh, works pretty well. Yeah, no, definitely. And then uh, finally, Horse. Um, I went with uh, one of my favorite actors from all my genre movies of all time. He's got a incredible voice that is so distinguishable. He's done so much voiceover work. Um, and he's in two of my favorite sci-fi movies of all time um, from John Carpenter, They Live and The Thing, uh, Keith David. Nice. Uh, he's just uh, and a nice guy, too. We got to meet him at a convention. Oh, that's so and, cool. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's got an intensity about him. And, I mean, I'm not just, he's not, like, intense at people. There's just this aura around him that is uh, impressive, to say the least. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Keith David is the man. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's one of my favorite dudes. I, I love his voice. And at a Q&A, he immediately started going political. Like, read these books, read these books. You've got to recognize what's actually happening out in the world and, like, not let the world tell you, you know, and just super smart. And, yeah, I'm, I was already a fan of his, and then I saw his Q&A, and I'm like, cool. Well, it's justified because <laughs> this dude's rad as shit. So, yeah, that's, that's my uh, remix, a weirdly sexy tense uh character study of men exploring their sensualities together that's beautiful <laughs> i like that i think um, a little different than the original but uh oh i, I think that's the idea <laughs> but as far as men groups of men exploring that aspect of themselves that's pretty unique for regular cinema so mm-hmm. kudos yay thank you <laughs> for my take, my alternate take, I'm going for a, um, it's kind of a dramatic thriller. It's not really a thriller. It's just, it's a drama. And basically the conceit is that there's an organized office. It's kind of like a sex club. Okay. It's not really a sex club in the office, although it is. It's that these executives in this office are members of a sex club and... (laughs) To make things more exciting, they've started bringing the sex club action back to the office with the people that work in the office. Oh, wow. Okay. So these things go down. Somebody becomes disenfranchised under these circumstances. There's lots of 
footage of people having sex in the office, uh, that footage becomes released on the internet. It becomes a scandal that takes down the company. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, the director I'm going for for this. So we is... both got both got kind of sexy on our remixes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's the full Monty is not really about sexiness per se, but we associate nakedness with sex. Sure. So of course our minds are going to go there. So just let my mind go where it naturally would go. Yeah, absolutely. And we all th- both are also of the age where we grew up in the era of like the sexy thriller. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So my director is um, from the fame of uh, Seven and the game, Zodiac, The Social nice. Network, Gone Girl, Mank, David Fincher Yes, is my director. And I had an idea for what I wanted for the cast, and I, I, I strayed away from it. I did not go with that idea because originally I was going to go with like um, like five Johnny Template actors who were all like uh, just blandly handsome white dudes who sure. could all be mistaken for each other. The army hammers minus, yes, the, yeah, minus like the cannibalism. Like five army hammers yeah. is what I was going for, but I, I strayed away from that. Um, so my gaz is Scott Eastwood. Okay. Scott Eastwood is the leader of the group, but he's not really. The, the senior person is the leader of the group. Uh, gaz would be more like a field commander if they were sure. uh, military, but there's a general. Uh, Dave is Nicholas Holt. Okay. Lomper is Dane DeHaan. Uh, Gerald Arthur Cooper is Bradley Cooper. Okay. And Horse. You're walking that razor's edge of five army hammers a little <laughs> yeah. bit. <laughs> yeah. Horse is John Hamm. And Guy is Stephen Yoon. Okay. So in this circumstance... It's actually Steven Yeun who is the disenfranchised one because he's the Asian guy, and these guys are super white. Yeah. Like, they have Steven Yeun there because they're like, uh, Asians are good at business or whatever, and I guess we have to invite him in on this thing because it's kind of what we do with the executives at the sure. company or whatever, but he becomes the disenfranchised one. But because of the nature of the thing, I didn't want to make it about uh, exploitation specifically. Sure. So I had to populate the female side of it. These are also executives at the company, and these are people that are in the sex club uh, for the uh, the women's side. Uh, the ringleader of the women uh, who occupies the Scott Eastwood role um, is uh, Margot Robbie. She's Ashley. Okay. She kind of organizes these women and uh, gets them involved in this. We're doing stuff all around the office. Yeah. Uh, she's actually the one who uh, decide who thinks it's a good idea to videotape some of this stuff for whatever reason. Sure. Uh, the other people, uh, we have Anna de Armas, who was in um, uh, Knives Out. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, we have Anya, Ta- uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, uh, Emma Watson. I've named all these characters, but it doesn't matter. Uh, Emma Watson, uh, Zendaya, and Selena Gomez. Under these circumstances, these are all executives except for Selena Gomez and Anya Taylor-Joy. Anya Taylor-Joy is all about it because she's white and she's enjoying her privilege here. Sure. Selena Gomez is disenfranchised. She's the one who uh, gets the collection of, of recorded video and gets it to Stephen Jung for distribution, which blows up the company and takes everybody down. And it's, it's just about that experience. 
And that's that's my alternate take. Okay. Not a lot of similarities to the original at all. No, not not even a little bit. <laughs> uh, and I thought about doing something where Bradley Cooper and John Hamm had planned to make things so bad uh, under these circumstances. They were the ones who released the video to get everybody else to d- divest their stocks, to sell them to Bradley Cooper and John Hamm. Sure. And then after they sold all their stocks, they would release some product that would actually, because the company was about to go public, make the, the, the public offering just skyrocket and all the money would go to Bradley Cooper and John Hamm. But I realized if I went with that storyline, then I would have to do more research into how money worked, and I didn't want to. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I had the director for knowing how money worked, uh, the director of The Big Short, uh-huh. and I still done, did not explore <laughs> that at all. Money? Clearly, I don't know how that works. So, I mean, <laughs> look at my bank account, and that would tell you one thing. But, uh, yeah, so um, sexy thriller, um, sensual drama uh, for our remixes, and then uh, a kind of political undertone comedy, and then a big dumb fun comedy. I think we've got some interesting takes on uh, The Full Monty. Uh, I believe so. Which, if you have not seen The Full Monty, um, and you've gotten this far, that's weird. But also, uh, that is available streaming all over the place. Um, I didn't find anywhere free, but if you do subscribe to Showtime, it is available on Showtime. That is interesting. So I I looked for The Full Monty, and I I was just going to rent it, and I could not find it available to rent. I mean, I was able to find it and rewatch it or whatever, but yeah, I couldn't find it through regular channels. So that's good to know that it was on uh, Showtime. Uh, I, do, I do believe that it was on Prime. Uh, I did the search on my Roku TV uh, of the Full Monty, and then it popped up at Full Monty, available on Prime, starting at like one ninety nine, like two bucks. Okay, cool. And clicked on the link, and it took me to uh, a remake, Spanish language remake that takes place in Detroit. Um, called like <laughs> Todo Selmonte or something. I forget the name, but it, it literally was like a, a remake of, of the full Monty Spanish language. I feel so. like you should watch that and report back to us. It does have English <laughs> subtitles. So I'm, I am intrigued. I'm very intrigued how different it is. Yeah. No, um, I would, I would watch that. Yeah. So I had, I had no, I mean, I doubt anybody has any idea <laughs> about that, but so that exists. That's out in the world. But I did find Full Monty on there as well, but it was three ninety nine. Those fucking liars. Um, <laughs> but now I have a seven day trial of Showtime uh, to enjoy through Prime. So uh, nice. Yeah, yeah. This is now where we talk about what we'd be mashing up with the Full Monty if we had the opportunity. One that I thought of offhand would be if you wanted to do a third uh, Super Troopers movie where they're raising <laughs> money to save the state trooper location. They're run out of ran out of money in the budget and the only way they can save their jobs is to pull their dicks out, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so they all start learning how to do sexy dancing for a big, like, yeah, I feel like that event. would be a pretty organic mashup. I feel like the super droopers would do that just on a dare. I, I literally thought about just having Jay Shandasekar, uh, who does all the directing for their mm-hmm. movies, uh, be the director and then just like casting all the broken lizard guys and be like, mm, cool. That was easy. Yeah. Uh, but that felt like kind of a cop out a little bit. I mean, if it works. Yeah. But less, less fun conversationally, uh, <laughs> at least, but it would definitely work. And I think it could totally be a mashup with super troopers where they could even mention like, Oh, that, that like nineties movie where like the British dudes pull their dicks out. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, the movie where they like dance and then they like to throw the hats and then they're gone. They're like, I don't know what, 
what that movie is. And it's just a running joke until somebody mentions like that they're going full Monty and they're like, that's the name of the movie. Yeah. And then boom, good to go. <laughs> I can see that. Um, I have a movie in mind and I, I'm old. So things don't come to me very readily. What was the movie? 90s movie, uh, British movie, heroin, baby on the ceiling. Train spotting. Train spotting. The mashup is train spotting. They're doing the full Monty to get drug money. Oh my God. Just these shambling drug corpses. <laughs> yeah. Like, just getting their drug getting money. Getting up on stage <laughs> and just, uh, <laughs> just dancing, looking like uh, fucking Christian Bale from The Machinist. <laughs> up on maybe, stage. Maybe they'll give us more money if, uh, if I suck your dick. <laughs> right? <laughs> they just start unbuttoning people's pants in the crowd. Like, no, get away. <laughs> give them money. He'll go away. Go give them money. Give them money. <laughs> They like skitter off into the <laughs> shadows of the building <laughs> and explode into crawling babies. Oh no! <laughs> uh, it, that's a mashup with my nightmares, I guess. Uh, is what that is. All right. So all we have left to do on this episode is the trailers. So uh, let me get the music queued up, and we'll uh, get that underway. From the mind that brought you Boogie Nights, Inherent Vice, The Master, and Phantom Thread, comes a journey into sensuality. Meet Kaz, a man down on his luck that will do anything in order to see his young boy, and with the help of his new and old friends, he will find more than just uh, his motivation. He'll find the G-spot of his heart. This summer, uh, join uh, Gaz, played by Daniel Day-Lewis, and his friend, Dave, played by Pixel's Josh Gad, as they form a team to do the full Monty. Starring Noah Jupe as Nathan, Joaquin Phoenix and Josh Brolin as the, the couple... Uh, Lumper and Guy, and Tiny Dick himself, Horse, played by probably has a big dick, Keith David. <laughs> this summer, don't half-ass it. Go whole hog. The full Monty. <laughs> oh, man, I could not recover from the uh, trying to get his young boy when you were talking about oh, yeah. it's like, oh no, this is a whole different movie than the one that he pitched. No, 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 not going there. No, definitely not. Um, <laughs> that's, a, I think I said young boy and I immediately got shivers. Like, nope. just even saying there's a boy anywhere close to this is not okay. Um, Let the kid out. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> okay. So, so that is mine. Um, are you ready for yours? Let's do it. All right, here we go. Are you young, motivated, sexy? Sexy. Would you like to have sex at work? Being motivated, young, and beautiful? Join these white men and Stephen Yoon as they do what they do at work and ruin their lives and careers. Welcome to the world of the full month. David Fincher's Full Monty, starring Scott Eastwood, Nicholas Holt, Dane DeHaan, 
Art Up, Bradley Cooper, John Hamm, the aforementioned Stephen Yoon, also starring Anne the Armas, Anya Taylor-Joy, Emma Watson, Zendaya, Margot Robbie, and Selena Gomez. They are going to ruin the shit out of their lives by fucking at work and doing the full month. Nice! That was awesome, actually. That was well done. Uh, the weirdest intro video ever to a job, really. Usually it's literally the opposite of that when you sign up. Like, don't fuck at work. Um, don't ruin your life. Unless you're working in a restaurant, and then they, they go, don't fuck at work. Wink. Yeah. And the, the video that you should be getting from the restaurant is like, only one person fuck the hostess at a time. Like, don't do blow in the bathroom. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> yeah, the number of times that I heard, I'm going to go take a shit and be like, yep, I'm sure that's what's happening. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that is our episode on The Full Monty. Definitely check that out. Uh, the Full Monty, if you haven't, and you just enjoy our dulcet tones. Um, dulcet. Caramel tones. And caramel tones. <laughs> You, you got the caramel. There's nothing caramel about this over here. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, thank you so much, Tandi, for uh, joining us. Uh, tell us about your podcast a little bit. Uh, so my podcast is my handle is Jonathan Blade, and it is about the life, the people that surround the ideas and philosophies of the internet citizen, Jonathan Blade, which is me. Uh, Jonathan Blade is a name that I chose for myself to go on the internet in like the early 2000s. And uh, so if you see a Jonathan Blade on the internet, I hate to say it's probably me because it could be somebody terrible, but it's probably me unless it's terrible. And then it's somebody who's not me. Good call. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. So that's available wherever you get your podcasts. Wherever you get your podcast. Sweet. Apple, Spotify. Uh, uh, what do I use? Pocket Cast. Yeah. Pocket Cast is a good yeah, one. Google Podcasts. All of them. Yep. And uh, speaking of all of those, uh, definitely make sure to subscribe if you if you don't already to this show, whether it be Spotify or Apple, whatever. If you have the opportunity to rate and review on Apple or uh, Podchaser, we would very much appreciate it. Um, the, the rating and reviewing, it actually puts us up in the ranks a little bit and makes us more visible to people that are looking for shows in this genre. So uh, we do appreciate it. Make sure to also check out Public for designs from this show and other shows on the Geeks Under the Influence Network, which you can find those shows and other episodes of this show at GUIPodcast.com with links to our social media. So join the conversation. Oftentimes we throw out uh, questions about what you would like to mash up with uh, some of the material that we're doing on the show. Uh, we always are open for suggestions on sh stuff you'd love to see us mash up or or uh, reboot or remake. So yeah. yeah. Jump on in, send us emails, send us uh, voicemails, 804-505-4484. That's 804-505-4GUI. Uh, voice and text messages available there. Or just hit us up on social media. Find you next time for another episode of Smack My Pitch Up. I'm Mike the Hobbit, and you just got pitch smacked. GUIPodcast.com <laughs>My name is Amy Bogard. And I'm Mike the Hobbit. And we are the hosts of Deeply Upsetting, where we use our expertise to answer your most upsetting hypothetical quandaries, such as what non-wigged animal deserves wings? And what body part deserves a secret mouth? We 
Which cryptid is the worst roommate? These questions and more that plague you will be answered on Deeply Upsetting, available anywhere you get your podcasts and at GUIPodcast.com.